It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast, the podcast about the beautiful club, Within the Beautiful Game, with me, Russell Guyver, your host, oh, co-host, alongside the other co-host, Mr. Peter Marsh. Hello. What what an introduction that was. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know, highly scripted. It took me months to come up with that. Yeah. It, it worked really well. It, it didn't show. It just felt like so, like, relaxed and, like, uh, normal. Well, speaking of which, I haven't done a scripted one for a while. I might have to, that's just reminded myself, I might have to do one of those soon. Yeah. It's all right. Don't have to worry about it. <laughs> um anyway uh it's it's great to be back we did a midweek one i was chatting with raymond and um just kept popping out a, a quick review of the last match which was the bournemouth game which you didn't go to did you Pete? you were away i was away yeah i was turning amsterdam some <laughs> color or other <laughs> yeah painting it painting it blue hopefully um and yeah. white yeah, you, you, I can't say you missed a cracker, although we did get the result, which is very satisfying. Yeah. We've, we've covered the game, so we won't talk about it too much. But any any reflections your ends from just like, the, really would have been a game that we wouldn't have won in previous seasons. I think mm. it's the it's it's I think a general thoughts. I think probably most people had um, yeah different game if Undad takes one of those chances in the first half, but then Bournemouth had their fair share as well. Mm. Should have probably taken one of them. Probably why they're down the bottom that they're not. So. Um, but yeah, big win because we, yeah, we needed to get, needed to get three points from that game and we had a number of players out. Um, Casado obviously only came on second half. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, the suggestion is that McAllister and Ferguson and will be back this weekend. So hopefully that will be a boost from that. Yeah, and we'll be previewing the Palace game in part two of this podcast. Really looking forward to the game. I know you're a bit more uh, full of dread on that one, <laughs> just for the possible it's not, not full of dread. It's just you never know what to expect. I still haven't got over that one where we absolutely pummeled them and somehow managed to lose 2-1 with Ben Teke turning into Van Basten oh. in the last minute. Well, bloody, what's his name? Teke or whatever his name is. And managed to score a goal as well. Yeah. What happened there? And a really good flick as well. And it's like, yeah. I think there was some stats someone put on Twitter this morning where there was, I think across those two games that season, we had 45 shots to their three and they won 2-1 and drew one all. Oh, sorry, mm. I'm sorry, 45 shots to their four overall. But then on target, we had five out of our 45 on target and they had three and they scored from all three. Yes. As long as that doesn't happen this time, because that, that's... The only bright side to that game was that we weren't there. I mean, that would have been an absolute nightmare watching them celebrate like that. At yeah, least they just turn off when the final whistle went. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, good point. Um, well, more on that later on. Um, in part one, we're going to talk about um, some things that have come up this week. And it's been quite a busy Wednesday because not only did I uh, record a podcast with... Um, 
Well, sorry, a busy midweek, I should say. I've recorded a podcast with Raymond on Wednesday, and no sooner is that finished than we had loads of stuff happening on Thursday. Namely, um, an article published, I think, originally by The Telegraph, um, talking about a new incarnation of the Super League. Of course, that won't go away, will it? Those three clubs in question, Real, Barca and um, Juve, yeah, have just not... Um, have just not let go really and we'll we'll talk about that in a minute we'll also need to talk about a rather outrageous scenario which is that Saudi Arabia are potentially sponsoring the next women's world cup which is uh, coming up this this year isn't it yeah. um so we'll talk about that and any other Albion news and other news besides. Before we get into that, though, just to quickly mention, we did have a Seagulls Over London meeting on Thursday, uh, yesterday, as we speak. Um, Paul Camlin was there. It was, it was mainly a thing talking about the World Cup, actually, and people sharing their experiences, because quite a few of our members are England fans that travel to the games. And so, too, does Paul Camlin. That's why he, he came up as well. Um, so that, that was a good evening. But what I was mentioning it for is uh, he did divulge a couple of bits of information. Firstly, he clarified that uh, Moises was not on £3,500 a week, as if we didn't already know that. Um, <laughs> he was he was amused and irritated, I think, in equal measures by the the amount of well, how widespread that absolute rubbish uh, uh, sp- spread around on Twitter and various other social medias. Um, so that that was one thing. He also, I think I, I asked him something about Casado, saying oh, how, how did he find the reception he got? Because it seemed that I think he was a bit overwhelmed with it, maybe. And maybe I don't know if he was a little bit feeling awkward or embarrassed by it after what had happened. But he did say, I think that... Um, it had been well received, and he's, you know, he's pretty pleased with that. And 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 also to clarify that there are no issues in house now that he's um, he's staying with us for the rest of the year, certainly for the rest of the season. So um, there wasn't really any major revelations. If there was, we probably wouldn't be able to t- disclose them. It's uh, you know the, uh, the usual. I, I was stunned that he's not on three and a half grand a week. I mean, <laughs> I just assumed that was the case because a few people said on the internet. Yes, the internet said so. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, if it's if it comes up, I I mainly get my news from Wikipedia, but yeah, Twitter <laughs> says it though as well. It's it's a pretty conclusive thing, especially yeah. if enough people with no knowledge of Brighton say it, then it must be true. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, indeed, and um, we've we've had our fair share of um of Chelsea and Arsenal fans um, telling us how it all is, haven't we recently? And um, when we had Matthew the Gunner on, Matthew the Gunner on, um. He was uh, he was saying oh, he's just rolling his eyes at the social media yes. from Arsenal. It's interesting that so I was having Arsenal in the Athletic or something, one of the well, somewhere anyway, where they were basically hinting that Arsenal's relationship with Albion has been damaged quite badly, and they will not, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's an Arsenal in the Athletic, one of like that, but yeah, they haven't done themselves any favours for future negotiations with. Um, yeah, which is which is. A subject which had come up, we discussed and suggested before, and although that may not be a huge issue if they're the only people interested or uh, or something like that, but it, but but the fact of the matter is, you know, they've shot themselves in the foot a bit there, mm-hmm. um, clearly, and, and the confirmation. I, I never really suspected he'd go there anyway. I mean, they, didn't, they don't have that money. It's the only clubs really, I think, who have the money to better for Casado, other in the UK or in England, are probably Chelsea, City, and United. Um, yeah. Possibly Liverpool if they really wanted to, if they missed out on Bellingham and they really wanted to push it. But certainly those three, Tottenham and Arsenal, I don't see having the money to compete with for players like that. But yeah. it's a good thing that they're only going to spend 35 million on Matoma, which is now the new rumour. Because <laughs> everything that Tony Bloom's done over the last, like, you know, 10 years or whatever suggests that he's going to get, let the most exciting current player in the Premier League, arguably, the, the breakthrough player of the season, go for 
35 million pounds in the position on the field which is even more escalated in value than yeah. anywhere else yeah and i shall pay yeah. double that for pepe so. <laughs> i've got a feeling that was that a few years are, ago are, people aren't really listening or learning are they from any no. of them or not wanting to it's just I, I find the whole thing hilarious and it's and it, it needs, you know, the window's shut for two days and you already get, they're linking McAllister somewhere, they're linking Mitoma somewhere. It's just, I've even seen one this week linking Sanchez with um, Chelsea or so for 50 million, which, I mean, it's just like, why? It, literally, we're not, we've got like three months to go, three and a half months to go to the end of the season. We're only halfway through the, pretty much the season as it is. Why not focus on the football rather than talking shit about Brighton's players and trying to basically sell off all our players? Yeah, I know. It's just well, you think all this crap will be over at least for now once the window yeah. closes, but no, that's not how it works. I get you get to May, maybe or whatever, or end of April, and you start talking about it. But it's just all bollocks. It's like well, what's one... the point? You can't prove anything. You can't say you're right or wrong because nothing's going to happen until May anyway. Hmm. One one bit of um, crap that I really hope is true on the internet it was something I heard. Somebody posted a, a, a copy, something from somewhere else on the internet, talking about um, how Todd Bowley might, may not have realised that Chelsea didn't qualify automatically for the Champions League and all of his funding was based on the assumption that they would get Champions League money. It's probably bullshit, but wouldn't it be hilariously yeah. funny if well, it was true? It does seem <laughs> to have been true that the, uh, the, the, the chicken farmers thought Blackburn couldn't be relegated. Yeah, yeah, I think so I think you really, never know with these things. Yeah, I mean, he he does strike me. He's been doing a lot of very random things, quite what I would call foolhardy things yeah. in terms of this amortization, long long term contracts plan, and all the, all the rest of it. So it's just possible, isn't it, with him? <laughs> I did say at the time when you, we were talking about the fact that, you know, in his old job in American sport, when he was like the, the country Cubby owned, they, I think they gave the manager seven years, the one he appointed after the one he initially got rid of very quickly. Um, but the difference is in American sport is the worse you do in American sport, the more benefit you get the next season. You then get higher up in the the, 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 the rankings of picking the first players and that sort of thing. Whereas mm. over here, the lower down you come, the less chance you have of getting better players. So mm. it's a very different way of doing it. So, yeah. Oh, it's a totally Who different knows. culture, isn't it? A sporting culture. They're going um, to is it West Ham away tomorrow. So that could be quite a... Is it West Ham away, I think, something like that? For Chelsea. I think I think so, yeah, yeah. So, um, not an easy one at the moment. Moyes has got them, is improving mm, a bit, and they kind of, mm. yeah, I'd love it, love it if West Ham beat them. Well, I mean, Paul, Paul mentioned on Wednesday about how it's crazy that they Chelsea spent fifteen million pounds over the release clause price for Fernandez as well. It was something to do with um, there was some particular reason. It was an incentive for some reason or other. Some but sort of way of splitting up the cost, wasn't it, or something like that? Yeah, that's mean, it. But... And it, but it's incredible that that. That just, uh, yeah, they're, they're willing to spend 15 million extra on top. And I mean, it, it, the beauty of it is he, he's come out swaggering around like he's done these really good deals when he's overpaid for both players um, in a, in a one, one horse race, basically. Also, and once they outbid Arsenal, that was yeah, it. Yeah, completely. And they, I mean, in this, it was, they didn't, they knew about outbid Arsenal for Fernandez. That was Casado. They were going against Arsenal. Um, Oh, yeah. I think only they could afford him, probably. The, mm. But, I mean, if, you look at, if you're looking for the sort of price that teams want for Argentinian World Cup winning midfielders, even allowing for a couple more years on McAllister's side, which, you know, can, he's a couple of years older, but he's just mm. on a new deal. He hasn't got a release clause. He has got Premier League experience, which Fernandez hasn't from, which obviously is a benefit for a Premier League club. I think you mm. need to be looking, you know, people talk about 50 million quid. That's not happening. Yeah, exactly. And 
we'll have to see how it goes. It does seem like he's sticking with Graham Potter, at least. But some some managers have gone. I, I have mentioned it on the last pod, but you haven't had the chance to talk about it, Peter. Um, Mr. Jesse Marsh has been yeah. sacked. Your dear old friends, Leeds United. I know, what it's disappointing. I mean, there's two bits that must make it even more disappointing. One is that um, Rael Vallecano, having an incredible season, fifth in the table, was apparently their, their number one target. Um, the club have refused Ari- to let Ariola, them... Ariola, his name is, isn't it? Ariola, yeah, yeah. And they, they've refused to let to let them let them make an approach. So um, that that's that's dead in the water. And also uh, Cochran, who's doing a great job at West Brom, who, who was, of course, I think he was in the youth levels with Leeds, and then he was assistant manager to Bielsa, and he was also his translator, I think, some of the time, and um, ended up um, through one job or another. He's doing a really good job now at West Brom, completely turned their season around. He's just signed a new six-year contract while the speculation was going on about Leeds. Yeah. So what I would probably I mean, say is two good, sensible options of both yeah. of them out of water. Which I mean, is- Cobran's reputation yeah. must be absolutely at the top level. I mean... Huddersfield under him went to the playoffs and yeah. are now bottom three. Yeah, they and went right up and before him were bottom yeah. three and are now in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, that is a, you know, pretty good record for two managerial jobs, isn't it? It, it looks good. It looks a good prospect. You know, if, yeah. if we're if we're looking for our next <laughs> next one on the the line that we might need to look for soon, he, he might yeah. be in the frame. Um, he's, he's he still looks like he could well get West Brom promoted. Because Huddersfield had gone right off the rails when he took over. I mean, to get them in the playoffs, I think, was a miracle. Yeah. And that, that was really well played. And then, and then to get they to the final him. as well, and very close to giving it yeah, a very, very tight game. They sacked him way too early, and look how badly they've gone again. They since. I think he resigned. I don't think they were sacked. Oh, they resigned. sold a couple of, they were selling a few key players. They sold two oh. to Forrest, and they lost a couple of other key players, I think. Okay. And that was, I think Fair he enough. decided to jump before kind of like things dropped. But well, they're a bit of a mess. Quite high. And speaking of which, they've just sacked another manager now. Um, yeah, so they've, so they've got one manager in the summer who they lasted about two months, two and a half months, and then another manager just now who's lasted another couple of months. So they've not done very well since he left. He's done better than them. Yeah. I mean, that one doesn't even push Robert Roberto De Zerbi up the uh, managerial longevity, no. does it, that one? No, cause it, but yeah, it, Jesse, Jesse Marsh, I am going to miss the uh, the chant from uh, last time we played him of you're just a shit Ted Lasso. <laughs> Which I'm sure he appreciates. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's he's very well attuned to the comparison that's been made as well, isn't he? Um, what they call it a character, isn't he? His, his antics on the touchline were very much over the top, I would have said. Him and De Zerbi against it could have been quite entertaining, actually. It's still hmm. possible we played them last time. Him against De Zerbi, which actually is quite brings quite almost to tomorrow, because De Zerbi against Vieira could not be more different to Hodgson against Potter as it was a couple of seasons ago. Yeah, exactly. Uh, us against Palace. No, yeah. Two of the most understated managers as compared to probably two, well, certainly wouldn't have to mess with either of them, really. Yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, it's going to be interesting. It is a shame that we didn't see the, yeah, the Marsh against the Zerbi thing. But I mean, I, he seemed to be a bit of a caricature somewhat in some ways, didn't he? And I think yeah. he, he, he seemed to be incredibly um, rose-tinted with his perspective of games as well, particularly in regard to decisions, but also in terms of the, the play as well, yeah. I think. Sometimes. It's an interesting one, though, in the sense that they spent quite a lot in January, and to mm. then give him one game effectively, where they lost that they lost somewhere last weekend. Was it Wolves or Wales, one like that? Uh, Forest, wasn't it? Forest, yeah, that's it. Um, and then sacked him, and it's, it's an interesting logic. I mean, you assume they brought in players that he wanted, mm. and then only gave him one game effectively with those players before they sacked him. Yeah, again, so, there's no joined up thinking there, is there? Really? No. 
It's an, it's they, an old one. I mean, I'm not sure he was that good, and I don't think the view were generally it was that good. But then why spend the money in January to like, bring in players that he wanted? Why not get rid of him before January, say yeah. at the World Cup, during the World Cup, and then bring someone else in to then have money come in, spend their money on players they want in January? It just seems, yeah, as you say, not very joined up thinking, very un-Tony Bloom sort of behaviour. Well, exactly. Yeah. And um, the speaking of irritations, we've mentioned Leeds, uh, the Super League. So, I mean, this, let's talk about that next. So there was, a, I think it was the first um, article published was the Telegraph, which had a, a, an article um, titled New European Super League announced, comma, to replace Champions League. Um, and the article, just to read the, the basic bit of it, it says rebels led by Real Madrid, Barcelona and Juventus have contacted more than 50 clubs and drawn up a 10 point manifesto for the new competition. The European Super League backers have revealed that they want to launch a new version of the project that crashed originally two years ago, a multi-division competition of 60 to 80 teams with no permanent members this time um, and a minimum of 14 games per club per season. So very much a yeah a rival for the Champions League. Uh, it goes on to say the announcement was was made in various European newspapers by A22, the Madrid-based sister company of the Super League, and time to coincide with a new push um, from the three remaining original rebels, Real, Barca and Juve, to continue their battle with UEFA. And A22 claimed that the new project is a result of detailed conversations with clubs around Europe on the financial problems facing them. For the past past few months, A22 and the ESL have focused on their attacks uh, on the wealth of the Premier League, its dominance of the transfer market, and the effect that has on other European leagues with less lucrative television deals. And so the article goes on. It does. They have stated that it's it is in no way dependent on participation from the Premier League clubs. So while they're probably inviting them into to be involved if they want, they're not fussed if we're there or not. Clearly, they want to go against the current establishment, which is. UEFA with the Champions League, and they're happy to to push something up against the Prem as well. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how the Premier League reacts. They've just had a meeting, I think it might be today actually, all 20 clubs um, who have also um, been, well, it's the first time Man City have, have been chatting to their fellow Premier League clubs since the other report came out this week, which was about the, uh, the financial irregularities in their FFP accounting. Um, which I'll get your opinion on that later as well. But on this matter of the Super League, I mean, the, this, the report goes on and on. It seems to be something where they've 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 regrouped, haven't they? And they've thought, right, well, clearly that's not going to work in its current format because there's too much resistance and there's too much power from UEFA in giving threats out. Um, in other words, expel them from the the Champions League itself. Um, and then they're kind of they're, they're calling their bluff a bit with this a more all-encompassing, larger proposed notion, this is maybe seen as less of a risk if they get enough people on board. Um, I'm pr- Presumably, I'm, you're, you're going to be against this as well. I Personally, I think the current Champions League format and indeed the, the current Euros and World Cup formats are all perfect as they are. I, I think they're in the exact perfect um, formats. Things don't always get improved and fine-tuned and perfected through time. But I think those tournaments, as it currently stands, are at the right levels. Obviously, FIFA are going to, uh, with Infantino, the idiot, are going to completely screw up the format of the World Cup by having too many teams in there. Much as it's inclusive, it's going to be too much. And it's too much of a burden on the, you know, the scheduling as well over the course of the, the football calendar. 
Um, but the Champions League, I think it's fine as it is. I mean, there's certain bits and pieces you could tweak, um, maybe to do with financial apportioning and whatever else. But generally, the format of it is fine. What do you make of it, Peter? What do you What do you think? Uh, so I, you know, you know, I don't normally have thoughts on many things, but <laughs> um, yeah, obviously, completely, complete bollocks. I imagine that they're talking about like club, clubs going in and out and that sort of thing. I'm sure Real, Barcelona and Juventus definitely made it so they could go down and not get into it. I'm sure that's definitely part of the plan that they've got. You know, they're not too worried if they qualify for it or not. Um, mm. yeah, it's, it's been expected. They were always going to do it. They never kind of, you know, they were, they, they never apologized. They never just said anything wrong. I think it'd be interesting to see how the English clubs comment and that sort of thing. I think there is a fear. I mean, we, I think Chelsea are partly to blame for this, that they're just throwing so much money. They spent more than each of the individual biggest leagues in this window. You look yeah. at the kind of money they spent over the last year and it's obscene. And that's not a problem with the Premier League. That's a problem, although it partly is, but it's a problem with Chelsea. That's the problem. They're yeah. the issue. No one they're else is going out and spending that money, that sort of money on stuff. Yeah, they were an issue back in the day, weren't they, originally? When, was that yeah, they, well, out. United started it originally, didn't they? And then... Chelsea carried it on, took it to a new level in Abramovich, and then City took it to a new level when when they got taken over, and now Chelsea are doing it again. And it's it's yeah, I mean it's it's it's. I'm not surprised the the clubs, those clubs are pushing for it. What sort of, what sort of competition it could be with sixty teams? I mean, my my only objection with the current format is I would start rather have the knockouts. To be honest, I wouldn't have a group stage. I mm. I, I think the European football was a lot more exciting when they had when they didn't. And arguably, I'd make the Champions League just for champions as well, rather than having the chance of a team who came fourth win the Champions League, which is yeah. I always well, yeah. find odd. Yeah, if we if we're changing it, then changing it that way, yeah, exactly. Or you could even have a three-team group, so it's um, just shorter or something or whatever. But I mean, there are different ways. People might have arguments completely with both of us about the formats and. That's that's you know, it's not a statement of fact. It's just opinions, isn't it? But yes, I, I, I do think that you're, you're right. Chelsea, in particular, and the Premier League in general, have clearly ruffled feathers. We know that the Spanish is it Tebas, isn't it? The head of the Spanish, mm. it's the Spanish FA or, or, or head of La Liga. I can't remember which it is. Uh, he's um, he's been quite critical of a number of things. He's quite outspoken in general. And the Premier League, he seems to have an issue with the amount of spending there. But it is it is the uh, product of a Wait, anyone. I mean, literally, Real Madrid and Barcelona have literally broken all the rules that you can think of. So I'm not sure any Spanish football and commentator <laughs> has any sort of leg to stand on with that. Yeah, the fact they, that they, the rest of the league are relatively badly off, and it's because they don't they they do their TV money differently. The fact there's no competition in league, I think the Premier League gets the money because the competition is actually a lot better. Yes, City might run away with it, but then second, third, fourth, fifth is like quite exciting, and at the bottom's quite exciting, and there's a real kind of and actually, the, you know, the games are much more, there's much more happens in them as well, I think, generally. Whereas in Spain, you know, it's, it is Real Madrid or Barcelona, even the Fetigo probably don't get close these days. And it's, it's just they have, they have got the product right, if we can call it a product, but that's what they treat it as. Yeah. It is a hugely successful model. We, what the Premier League did well was trimming it down a couple of uh, teams, definitely worked in their advantage, the rebranding itself. Um, the the way they jumped ahead before they they preempted uh, this they were the first team to come up oh, sorry the first um, league to come up with 
the concept of rebranding and getting the television deals in the way they have uh, before anyone else did. So they've they've benefited from being first on the scene, um, which is just hats off to them, really. And the format, the the fact that it's a really exciting division, lots of lots of clubs with lots of fans there and people like to see the fans in the stadiums when they're watching around the world. It's hugely popular around the world. Yeah. That's a hugely successful um, format. But uh, yeah, the- there's a lot more historically big, yeah, bigger clubs, you know, clubs hmm. like, you know, we don't want to talk about, you know, small clubs like Sheffield Wednesday and, uh, you know, I know you're going to say teams like Wednesday and Ipswich and who are playing in the third tier are bigger yeah. than a lot of the teams historically than a lot of the teams. Teams like Villarreal get like, 15,000, 20,000, that's all they can fit in their stadium. And they're like one of the best teams in Spain. Whereas yeah. like teams like Wednesday get like 30,000 at times. And it's, it, you know, there's a lot of very big clubs over here. Whereas in Spain, maybe there's a lot, there's a lot fewer in Italy as well. Although I think there's more probably in Italy just than there are in yeah. Spain. But yeah, there's the bottom end of the top flight is still full of big clubs and the championship and league one. Whereas there isn't the kind of the, the chain down really. There's a right. few decent sized clubs like in Germany, obviously got Hamburg and people like that in the second division. But right. There aren't many, whereas, you know, here there's like huge numbers of big clubs in League One, even League Two with Bradford, you know, it's a historically pretty big club. National League I know they're, they're a special case at the moment, but Wrexham as well, they are they are yeah. a big club. When also Notts County. County, who are both getting five-figure gates each week, you know, or thereabouts or nearly. And that's that's incredible at that level. And you're right, there are more big clubs because of the history the way it goes back to such large numbers from such an early time all of the industrial uh and sort of mill t- you know, the mill towns the cotton towns the the coal and steel towns of the north and the midlands in particular that's where the heartbeat of it came originally i suppose on a larger scale all of those clubs have a long storied history of of just being um sizable and having that scale and as you said there's not that many with the possible exception of you could say germany and one or two other countries in in europe there um that have those sort of levels of um good of big big clubs even then you probably would say there's more big clubs um in england than anywhere else. No, no other country has got the level of like you know fifth sixth lips fifth sixth tier teams being you know, full-time sort of yeah. thing no one's got that sort of level you know, mm. if you go down to the fourth tier in like French or German football, they're you know they're all amateurs and that sort. Of, yeah, there's no. Mm. And so this new European Super League, um, the greedy league. I'm going to go back to calling it that. Um, I, I don't see the need for it at all. And um, what they've said somewhere in their quotes as well is that football, European football's on the brink of collapse. Um, well, I think well, it, if it keeps getting run by the clowns at Real Madrid. Barcelona and Juventus, then yes, because all three are appallingly badly run clubs. They only survive due to, in some cases, handouts from the government. In other cases, just having an enormous name itself has, has bailed them out because they've been able to do what Barcelona have done and sell against future their future. Or you've got what Real Madrid can do. They can get bailed yeah. out by the government and they can rely on an enormous fan base, which can reel more money back in. Um, Juventus have taken to cheating and they've been punished for it. They've, you know, 15 point deduction this season. Those, those are clubs that are badly run and deserve what they get in terms of not succeeding because they're not succeeding because they're not run properly. I mean, three tower team who just had a 15 point, point points deduction as well for financial irregularities can be at the heart of this as well. And surely yeah. Juventus shouldn't be involved. It no. just seems crazy that a country, a, a club who's just literally last month had a 15-point penalty for false, for what's it, false accounting and financial irregularities in relation to historic transfer dealings 
And it's not the first offence either. They, no, they the far less than what they did before when they were relegated to like the fourth tier or something, weren't they? Or something yeah. crazy like yeah. that. That's or right. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's just mad. And it's like, sorry, so you basically you're start you're fronting this with a club who have these problems. As you say, Barcelona have been like having to sell off the fact, you know, their players have barely been able to register their new players because of their financial problems and breaking the rules of La Liga this year and, you know, and this season. Half the time, they've not been able to like register their new players in time for stuff. How on earth these clubs, and they're not, they, if you say they're not in financial, you know, struggling financially because of anything they've, because of like TV deals or that, they are, they all have really good TV deals individually sometimes in their countries. What hmm. they're struggling because of isn't that it's because they're they're being badly run. Yeah, Barca and Real have have their own individual deals that are arranged. They've got an enormous unfair advantage over the other clubs in Spain on that basis, and and yet still they seem to be struggling to to in, well to assert their dominance. Yeah, and yet Real Madrid won the Champions League. Yeah, it's hardly like they've not won the thing for years or anything. You know, it's hardly like British clubs have dominated Europe recently or English clubs have dominated yeah. Europe. They, like, Real Madrid won the Champions League last year for like the third time in five years or something like that. Yeah. They keep winning it when they don't deserve it, which is very irritating. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's another matter. But but yeah, we, we want to be trusting an organisation which is being fronted and propelled by those three clubs going forwards. Whether... Anything Real Madrid are anywhere near, I would, by, on, by, by definition, I would avoid like the play. Yeah, exactly. That's an interesting question. If you're asking 50 to 60 clubs... Hmm. How far down the Premier League, I wonder, will they go if they ask them? You know, as in, I'm not, obviously, I'm pretty sure that we would say no, but would we get an ask as a sixth best team in England currently? Yeah. I have no doubt that we'd say no. I think everyone would be well aware of how unpopular it would be. But we are currently the sixth best team in England. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Who knows? If if everyone in the Premier League was on board with it, um, so that they were willing and congenial on the whole thing, um, I don't know. I suppose you'd be looking at maybe a definite top six or seven, maybe the Euro- European qualifying equivalent places. Yeah. Uh, so maybe the top seven of England and the top seven of one or two of the other big leagues and then the top four of the rest or something. I don't know. Who knows? Um, under the original plan, there were going to be some invited spaces, weren't there? there were, I think it was going to be four out of, was it out of 16 or something? Yeah. Uh, something like they that. asked a few clubs like Bayern who said no yeah. and, yeah, um, for them, to be honest. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, PSG, surprisingly. I mean, Bayern, I know, are a, you know, a well-run, kind of quite decent club, and I wasn't surprised they said no, but PSG, I was quite surprised, given the money they throw around and the way they, you know, their antics in the transfer market, I would, I was surprised that they were. I suppose they, maybe they feel they don't need that, um, that sort of tailored advantage because they've got the advantage of having wealth already, I suppose. Um, I don't know, not really sure. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how this unfolds. It seems to have been received a bit differently. I'm trying to gauge. I haven't had time to read too much on it, actually. So uh, in much of the reaction around on the media. Um, have you sort of... Uh... No, I've not seen those. I mean, I think the general view over here probably is that it's not that popular. But, yeah, I mean, I think the way they've done it now might interest more people, possibly more clubs, you know, because obviously there's more clubs involved. It's still, yeah. it still reeks of, like basically kind of giving more money to the rich clubs of certain countries and taking keeping it away from the lower, you know the clubs that lower down their leagues yeah what what i also don't like a little bit is uh, one bit of the article says the format of the proposed new super league has been kept a secret by real barcelona and juventus but even now uh, there are still questions about how it might work were it ever to be given legal room to operate um 
why they keep it under wraps so much. Um, it's almost as if they're not really confident in the product or they want to see how things go first. No, I think what, what that actually means is that there are four semi-finalists. Three of them are automatically Real Madrid, Juventus and Barcelona. <laughs> each season. Yep. And then one other one, if teams are competing for that. Yeah. And yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. And I mentioned Tebas earlier. Uh, actually, he's, he, he pops up in the article. It says, um, Javier Tebas, the president of La Liga. So it is, it is La Liga and um, was among the first to respond to Thursday's announcement. He tweeted, the Super League is a wolf who today disguises himself as a granny <laughs> to try to fool European football. But his nose and his teeth are very big. Four divisions in Europe. Of course, the top division for them, the founding clubs as in the 2019 plan, governance of the clubs, of course, only from the big ones. So he's, uh, and there's it's actually a picture. That, despite the fact he obviously is anti the Premier League, he's still, he's still very anti-Super uh, League as well, which is good yeah, to, to, to be, to be fair. fair. Yeah, he's been very vociferous about it from the off, um, which is which is great, actually. I think it's, it's good that they've, they've said that. Um, so, yeah, so that was that. And then, of course, you've got the, um, yeah, the BBC sort of uh, publisher an article about it as well. Um, when I was looking through that, actually, I also noticed that the BBC published an article uh, from Alex Morgan, USA Forward, who'd called the potential Saudi sponsorship deal for the 2023 Women's World Cup bizarre. Um, so the Gulf Kingdom has been accused of human rights abuses. Morally, it just doesn't make sense, the two-time World Cup winner uh, said. It's bizarre that FIFA has looked to have a Visit Saudi sponsorship for the Women's World Cup when I myself, Alex Morgan, would not even be supported and accepted in that country. Saudi Arabia has invested heavily in sporting events in recent years, but has been accused of using the events to sports, sports wash its reputation. Women's rights campaigners have been imprisoned despite some reform under Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman such as an end to the ban on women driving. Um, but um, anyway, Morgan went on to say, sorry, the... Um, U.S. Soccer Federation, sorry, said it would voice its concerns to the world football's governing body over the deal. Um, it said U.S. soccer strongly supports human rights and equity for all. I think I mean equality, but anyway, uh, and believes in the power of the, our sports to have a positive impact. While we cannot control how other organizations manage sponsorship selections for the tournaments we compete in, we can voice our concerns and will continue to support our players. Um, and yeah, I mean, it seems incredulous to me. This it seems the most inappropriate sponsorship possible, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, you couldn't make it up, could you? Really? Hmm. Let, let's let's <laughs> let's have sponsorship of. I mean, it's not been confirmed in any way yet, and hopefully this will back them down, back down on it. But yeah, a country who basically treats women the way that Saudi Arabia do who won't let women drive on their own, won't let women go out on their own, basically teach, treat them as second-class citizens. For them to be in any way even considered to be sponsoring a Women's World Cup is obscene. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's if it was anyone else, I wouldn't believe it, but it's FIFA. And so you just, yeah, <laughs> it probably is true, frankly. Yeah. They're so stupid. And then when it's announced in Fantina, I'll say, I'm a woman, I am a Saudi Arabian, <laughs> I am, I'm a fuckwit. <laughs> yeah, that's the one bit he won't admit to. That's a, yeah, the rest of it, the fictional stuff, no problem at all. Ah, so, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have thought FIFA could get worse under Infantino compared to Blatter, but um, yeah, at least Blatter was kind of a nice kind of villain of the piece, whereas Infantino just seems like a bit like a Bond villain, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it's you horrendous. Having sharks with lasers on their head or something, you know, and kind of like having a layer underground and 
Oh dear, never mind. Well, I'm, I'm not a fan, as you might have gathered. No, no, probably not. No, I can I can tell that. I, I suspected you might not be actually. Yeah, I can't quite work out what gave me that hunch. But anyway, moving swiftly on to one other depressing story. Well, not depressing, but if you're listening, uh, Gianni, come on, yeah, come and chat with us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yes, exactly. Yes, come on, Gianni. Um, Speaking of um, controversy, Manchester City, I've already mentioned this with uh, Raymond in midweek, but I've got to get your views on it. Manchester City, um, who have, according to Pep Guardiola, already been condemned, to quote, um, over alleged financial rule breaches. Um, This is an article that's in the BBC as well today, actually. Um, It says, with more than 100 breaches, a two-year ban from European competitions for breaching their financial fair play regulations was overturned by the court of arbitration for sport in 2020 the club proved that they were completely innocent said guardiola what's happened since monday is the same as what's happened with uefa we have already been condemned you have to understand that 19 teams in the premier league are accusing us without us having the ability to defend i'm fully convinced we will be innocent you're not, not will be innocent you either are or you're not uh, but anyway um it goes on to say the Premier League has referred City to an independent commission over the alleged rule breaches, uh, also accused City of not cooperating since the investigation, which doesn't suggest we're at much innocence either, does it, if you're not doing that? But anyway, and when asked if he believed um, it was the case um, that um, the um, the charges have been driven by rival clubs, he said, um, of course, it is the Premier League. I don't know why. You have to ask the CEOs. They have opened a precedent right now, what they have done to us. Be careful, be careful in the future, as there's a lot of clubs that have been accused, like we have, without being innocent. Who knows what will happen in the future? They believe that we didn't behave properly. We can accept that, but let us defend when we believe we did it properly. This is quite a fiery and robust defence from Pep, who has said that he would um, stand by the owners unless they were proved to be guilty of anything and he's clearly going down this innocent until proven guilty line at the moment um sounds rather irritated doesn't he what a load of, again what a load of crap i mean it's they've they have almost certainly broken all sorts of all that sponsorship of themselves and that sort of bollocks and yeah. you know somehow it's like not the company of they have almost certainly broken any rules equal, broken a load of rules equally they almost certainly won't get properly punished I think we were discussing this last night, weren't we? I, I think they'll probably get a reasonable fine that there's basically peanuts to them because their owners are like, you know, basically yeah. in the country. And and then they might get a transfer window ban or something like that for one transfer window. But it'll be like about three transfer windows away. So they'll actually have plenty of time to spend all the money they want to in the meantime. I mean, it's the Premier League's not a level playing field. There's no way. They've got very expensive lawyers. There's no way they're going to get, you know, chucked out the Premier League or have points deducted or have trophies taken away. It's, like, it's literally impossible. Then the amount of time that would take, and in terms of the legal, they'll come to some agreement where they vaguely admit to something that they might have done wrong or, or did by accident or like that, or didn't realise they'd broken the rules. And, and then there'll be some sort of like slap on the wrist and then it'll be all, they'll be allowed to go around and spending money again. Yeah, absolutely. And he's saying the other 19 clubs are ganging up on them, but the, the Premier League is, that, that is the, the Premier League, obviously, that is the definition of it. It is the 20 clubs. Um, but if they haven't done anything wrong, they've got no issue. If they have done something wrong, why shouldn't the other clubs call them out on it? Because um, it's extremely yes. hard to believe with 118 charges that they're innocent of all of them. Well, exactly. And that, so those clubs have been... likely to find 118 things to charge people with that they're innocent of all of them. I don't want to kind of prejudge. Obviously, he's right. You need to kind of let it go to this court. 
and all yeah. that. But it's a lot of things. It's a yeah. bit like without one to kind of bring it into it, the Ivan Tony thing as well. You know, yeah. he's was it two hundred odd charges he's got. Yeah, hmm. I'm so not I'm... saying he's guilty or at all, but it's a lot of things to be found not guilty of. Yes, exactly. You know, well, it's, it's so yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't want to prejudge either of them, but he suggests there's some yeah. sort of evidence there, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the, the have not, not only have the right to question if things are going out of hand with people flagrantly breaking the rules, they have an obligation to do that because they are representing the game. They're representing all of the fans of all of those clubs. And it is an unfair advantage that they're presumably trying to gain here by by uh, flagrantly trying to go around the FFP yeah. rules. If if the FFP rules don't exist, then fine. But they do, and so you have to adhere by them. That's yeah, what that, even Chelsea is trying to do in a funny sort of way. Actually, their net spend in the last few years has actually been pretty low. I think only we have spent, we have a lower net spend than them in the last two, three transfer windows or something, four transfer windows. Yeah. But they've obviously got money for Sterling, Jesus, a number mm. of players over that time. Well, Cancelo, obviously, this summer they're going to get a load for as well as buy and pay what they want. But yeah, it's. I just find it. They obviously did overspend for like seven, eight years. They they threw money to every transfer window. They spent an awful lot of money, and you know it's like, well, I mean, it's really a bit pointless doing it now anyway. The fact that they're, they're basically the charges relate to up to twenty eighteen. That's five years ago. It's like, well, what's the point? They really need to do it before then, but you know, to act earlier. But yeah, it's like I, I think they'll end up with a. They'll end up with some sort. Of, they'll end up to admitting to one or two probably and. Just like, you know, the wording will come out that they're sorry, they didn't realise they'd done this or done that or, you know, and they'll get a slap on the wrist, a bit of a fine and a, a one window maybe transfer ban in the future when they can got plenty of time to sort themselves out and all that. And yeah, I mean, the European things were a bit of a joke, I thought, at the time, because City were getting banned from that. And PSG and Real Madrid were basically flagrantly breaking the laws and Barcelona you know, all these teams. And, and UEFA did seem to have some sort of vindictive side towards English teams. There was like there was Chelsea getting like getting caught up in it and City, whereas like PSG and Barcelona and Real Madrid were never caught up on their overspending. So it was a bit, it was, did feel a bit like. But with City in the Premier League for those years, they were by far the biggest spenders and probably you know did do some of this stuff. But hmm. yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I'm pretty cynical about these things. I just don't. I think you have enough expensive lawyers, you can get away with pretty much anything. Well, this is the trouble, isn't it? Um, no matter how guilty you are, you seem to get away with stuff nowadays. Just look at the way the recent governments have been. Look at the way that, uh, yeah. um, well, I, I wouldn't want to say too much, but there have been certain players up for certain charges recently who've got away with certain things, um, one of which is because the, the witness pulled out because she's got back together with the person involved, Mr Greenwood. Um, so that you can't really have a case if, if the witness isn't going to is no longer going to testify against uh, but um the other case i think mendy apparently i think is has uh, got away with things as well as neon he's got he's got off so to speak um and it's yeah i mean we, we can't say any more about that because obviously it's a it's a case and we can't uh we, we can't um, say things he hasn't been found guilty of but it does seem that um justice may not be done in some cases it's uh it's a very frustrating scenario. And then when it comes to things like this with the Super League and with uh, the Manchester City scenario, it's just nothing but infuriating. And But you can imagine that somehow these people will get their way in some regard or other. I don't know with the Super League whether they'll get their way, but certainly Man City, I agree with you, they'll get off with lightly. They're bound to, aren't they? Even though, as we said, they, they could get kicked out 
They could get a huge points deduction or, or expelled altogether. They could get fined. They could get embargoes or a mixture of those things. Um, but yeah, my prediction is they'll get a fairly hefty fine, but one which won't will be a drop in the ocean for them. Anyway. Money for them though, yeah. Is that yeah. Right? Um, they It'll probably... sound a big number to you or me reading the newspaper, yeah. but for them, it's yeah. basically just like. They've got it in cash in the corner, probably, or something. And because it's going back, it's more historical. It's stuff that when they were setting, establishing themselves in the first place more than now, because they've got the assets in hand and they, the net spend thing and everything. Um, but I think, so maybe not an embargo, but I bet you they end up with a suspended points deduction. So it's suspended pending any future um, infractions, which, of course, they won't need to, to do now because they've got their house in order because they're able to function in a different way within the rules now. They've got the dominance level already there, so they're getting the extra finances in from tournaments and everything else. Um, so, yeah, suspended points, deduction, and a big fine is my prediction. What should happen, in my opinion, is they should get a very hefty points deduction at least, maybe expulsion, but probably that will be a step too far. Um, and they should probably have an embargo just for the sake of it, uh, and also uh, a fine as well. Um, what the what the fine would go towards, I'm not really sure. There could be maybe some good use for that as well. But uh, that's what I would like to happen, but I doubt it. Yeah. Um, we wait and see what happens next on those matters, don't we, Peter? But that, we're that's so cynical, aren't we? <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, it's, if we're tainted by the system. Um, any other? infuriating major football stories to talk about before we get on to our preview of the weekend? Not really, no. That's a, it's quite a lot to be fair. <laughs> it's been quite a busy news Have week. Have any other arseholes done any, any other arsehole stuff? Not really, probably, you know. <laughs> not so far, not yet. I'm sure no, we look forward to, to Palace abusing Dunk tomorrow with, with, with something that actually genuinely didn't happen in this situation as well. Yes, like, oh, yeah, that's right, yeah, because they, they're perfectly okay with just accusing him of something, he, he, um, of, of a thing he wasn't found guilty of and had very little to do with, by the sounds of it anyway. Um, yeah, exactly, but just fire away, guys, why not? We'll just keep the abuse coming. <sighs> I'd love him to score, he hasn't scored against Palace, it would be so good if he scored it tomorrow. Oh, yeah, that would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, running first half, actually, from a corner. Um, so they give a load of abuse to Solly or uh, to Pascal or whoever's taking the corner. Dunk heads in the um, the corner, then runs the whole length of the Arthur Waite, as he did when he was joining in with the celebrations of the knockout goal, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, run the whole length of the Arthur Waite, celebrate with the Brighton fans, and then give a little bit to the fans behind the uh, the, the supermarket goal or whatever it's called uh, <laughs> um, before kicking back off again. Yeah, and then second half, of course, uh, our, our new talismanic attackers, Fergie, who's going to be the uh, the, the new um, golden boy slash cult hero, and um, and Mitama, of course, getting on the score sheet to make it 3-0 in the second half. What do you think? Easy, really, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's the preview. Don't, we don't need a part two now. We've just done it. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll... Fair, if you're going like, to imagine you're kind of like perfect thing, surely you can do better than 3-0. <sighs> well, I, I don't want to like Go back to the five that, to match what they did to us in that game. Yeah, that would be good. That would be very good. Yeah. If you're going to make up shit and like kind of make up your like ideal solution, you might as well go 10. Premier League record, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Well, on that note, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll preview the game in a little bit more detail and also talk about any other matters Albion related in part two. Coming up next.
and so to part two, where we're going to preview the Palace game and talk about any other Albion business. Um, so, Peter, we, we've started um, talking about the Palace game already in part one. So um, let's carry on with that then. And we think we're hearing that Evan Ferguson is likely to be back, whether he plays, of course, or starts. Um, we don't know. We won't know till an hour before. But um, it looks like he's going to be involved in the squad, at least, which will be great. Um, yeah, as not, far as... not as bad as it might have been, given that horrendous tackle that was. from Yeah, Ferguson. which I'm still furious about. Um it wouldn't have affected us on the day from whether he's sent off or not, but you've got to have repercussions for challenges like that. And because they saw it on the pitch, you don't even get anything uh, retrospectively. Um, as I said, it doesn't matter to us whether he gets banned or not, but it's just the principle of the matter. Yeah. But I'd rather he just didn't do the foul in the first place because uh, we want our guy available. Um, thankfully and, and unexpectedly, it sounds like he might get involved and he might be on the bench possibly. I think Undav did reasonably well. There was an interesting debate on one of the WhatsApp groups about um, his involvement. Um, Simon, who's a friend of the show, who very uh, people with very good memories might recall, we, we had on before only on one occasion. He's, he works for Sports Interactive that makes Football Manager. And so he, he works in the industry, so to speak. And he was talking about how they've got um, tactical camera broadcasts that they have access to for their job. So they can see things that aren't normally broadcast or available for others to see. And he was looking at that and saying that um, Undav effectively was playing um, the the number 10 role, the Lana role in those league games against Liverpool and Bournemouth. Um, and to good effect. And he had, I think, something like a, a number of passes, 100% success rate with his passing in those areas, and that um, it was working as basically dropping into a midfield box with the the wider attackers to the side of that. Um, OK, we had that triple chance and didn't bury it. Could have done better with that uh, in terms of the, you know his main job, putting the ball in the net, or what we, we would think of as his main job anyway. Yeah, it's interesting that he was billed as a very much a striker who's in the box, doesn't really get a move around that much, doesn't like offer much other than scoring, but does take his chances. And in mm. a way, Saturday, he was the opposite of that. He was <laughs> the one... Yeah. He did a lot so, more good for the team. He put a really good cross in for Welbeck, where Welbeck should have done better, actually, at the end of the, end of the first half, where he just kind of poked it wide. Um, yeah. And he, yeah, he seemed to work hard, but yeah, you really, I know that one was blocked and one was a save, but he really should have taken one of those chances. It's a different yeah. game in that situation. You know, if we go one and up in the first 10, 15 minutes, it's a different game to... I know in the end we won, but it, obviously we could have easily, you know, not got the win from that. Whereas yeah. if you score early, you need, you know, you get the goal you need. Yeah, and it was on the they put themselves on the back foot with a terrible goalkeeping pass straight to him. So yeah. it wasn't as if it was um, a, a difficult one with loads of bodies in the way. Oh. He'd stolen a march, cut inside, and had a shot with his weaker left foot, which was powder puff. Lucky enough to get it back, and another shot with his left foot, which um, was blocked or saved, and then the third one with his right foot. But I think he was at sl- shaped at the slightly yeah. wrong angle to take it with the right foot, which is why it ended up hitting the post rather than going just inside. Um, but it it might be that he starts. Um, it may be that we don't start with two strikers. We have done in recent games, um, albeit they've been um, employed in different ways. Um, with Lara, I, I wonder whether that was more because. With Lalana out and Grosh playing further back, that was an issue. Yeah. But if Grosh plays, Grosh, if with Casado and McAllister probably play midfield, yeah. I wonder if they'll find that the Grosh will take the Lalana spot that he's had recently, yeah. and then they'll play the same defence they played last weekend. Yeah, because Lalana's still out, isn't he? For definite, we yeah, think. The blow. We do look yeah. a lot better with Lalana on the pitch. We do, yeah. He's been really good in those the recent games that he he's played. Um, 
Yeah, we obviously, as, as always, you can never really know how we're going to set up. But I think whatever we do, um, we have to take into account something a friend of the show, Addy Bravery, mentioned during the week, which is that it seems to be a small pitch. It seems to be narrow uh, and they they tend to squeeze the space, really, somehow. I never really feel like there's an awful lot of open play at Selhurst when we play them anyway. Um, so how we approach the game, what Roberto knows about them, what he might think and do, who knows. Um, but I do think that Fergie will have some kind of involvement. I think Undav probably will as well at some point. Could he Could he become a cult hero himself, Undav, if he scores in this game? He could uh, wait to score his first Premier League goal, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. He's he's in um, storied company, of course, Andoni. <laughs> um, but um, hopefully, well, also though Anthony Lockhart and uh, you know people like that. So um, let's let's hope whoever starts can get the goals. I think Mitama at the moment I just feel so confident with the way he's playing. It makes me feel that we can just get over that hurdle of the the so-called leveler between clubs when you have a match between two rivals. Um, and he's just on such relentlessly good form at the moment that you feel that nothing much would stop him um, legally. <laughs> and There's still a little element of he doesn't quite at times, and I, and I think this is almost a good thing because he can get even better. There are times when he maybe takes the wrong decision at times. The example would be the couple of minutes before he scored, he was in round the time intercept in round the back and he shot rather than playing it back to Enkiso and he could have scored then. So it was, he had pretty much an open goal if he'd done that. So I mean there's still a lot there's still stuff to learn, which is even more exciting in a way because I mean he already is fantastic. Yeah. I don't know if you caught our um the last pod yet because because you went on that one, but um we we spoke very briefly to um the Japanese TV guy and when D- Duncan off uh, off air had uh, spoken to them. Uh, those there were four TV guys there, and they were all claiming that Mitama is going to get much better as well. They seem very assured of the notion that he was he wasn't even anywhere near his best yet. <laughs> and, makes sense. Uh, he's only been playing really regularly since November, and there's been a World Cup yeah. in between. So yeah. he's only someone he played about twelve, fifteen games for us, like that. So, yeah, let's hope let's hope they're right. Hey, eh? that would be um that would be a sensation if he if we can get. We might as well enjoy it while we can before he goes to Arsenal for thirty five million pounds. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe we're selling him for thirty five mil. Oh well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say that though. You know, let's get let's enjoy him while we can though. I think that that bit of it is true. Um, He's I'm not probably the most exciting, arguably most exciting player I've ever seen play for Albion. You yeah. Know, it's like, Obviously, you know, people talk, look back to the likes of Ward and that sort of thing before my time. But he, for me, is the one who, of, of all the players, he's, he's equivalent to knockout in the championship sort of thing. You know, he's the one who gets you, gets you off your feet. And yep. yeah, it, knockout in the championship was like that. He was just too good for everyone. You could just tell. And obviously, he wasn't quite the level to step up. But he was, yeah, he, that sort of level. And Vicente, when he, the few games he did play, and, you know, yep. there's a few. But yeah, he... He's genuinely so world class, isn't he? And he's and he, he, yeah, he's heading as well. It's ironic because he's, he's had probably about four chances with his head, and he scored yeah. the two most difficult ones against Wolves and last weekend. And he missed two sitters at Southampton and at Everton, I think yeah. it was, yeah, which were absolute right. sitters. And he, yeah, so obviously with headed chances, he needs to have a difficult one. Yeah, really. behind him that header last weekend, and he had to like kind of really get the power on it. And it was brilliantly done. They doubled up on him, and um, they they've managed to keep him a little bit quieter. And he certainly had, was less effective in the majority of the game against Bournemouth. Yeah. And yeah, then what do we do? We just rotate players around. He pops up in the box. We just kept trying to attack us, didn't he? Until 
<laughs> but I think, I think the, the difference tomorrow, if Palace do that, is that we'll have McAllister, Casado and Gross in the middle. Gross yeah. in the middle. They're, you know, it's a better... And, and possibly trio. Ferguson, too. Mm. Yeah. And Ferguson, hopefully. But, yeah, and yeah. Ferguson. It's a better, like, kind of central area than it was last weekend. Mm. You know, nothing against, like, the Sun, Dave and Gilmore. They, they, I thought they did, both did pretty well, but they've not played loads, and they've not played loads with these players as well. So and it showed at times, you know, it's like you've got to play a bit more to to get get used to it. And yeah. I'm sure both of them will probably come good at some point. But yeah, that that central area, if we cut, if Matoma's doubled up on, then yeah. and Marches as well. Or if Matoma's doubled up on Marches left a bit free, then March needs to take advantage. And if not, then there must be space in the centre somewhere. If they, you know, you can't mm-hmm. have two players on every player. I think we're overdue getting a penalty against them as well. I think I've got a feeling that we're going to score a second-half penalty, uh, which which would be McAllister. I think it will be him taking it, and he's going to score it. And um, that's my prediction, or one of my predictions for tomorrow. Um, the other one is I do think we're going to win it. I think we they're, they're overdue getting a good hiding, actually, from us. Whether we'll be able to do that or not is another matter. We, you never know. But I do think we can get the better of them. Maybe we won't score as many as we should have done in the game when we're walking away talking about it. Who knows? But I'm, I'm going to go for um, 3-1 because I think they'll get some sort of an irritating goal somewhere along the lines. Um, possibly I'm going to go 1-0, 2-0, 2-1, 3-1 in that sequence. That's my... Not too specific uh, prediction. One of those goals being McAllister. And, and I think Mitama will score again. And I think the third goal could be Ferguson if he's involved. That would be wonderful. Um, but it might be Dunk. I'm wondering about the Dunk thing now. You've put it in my head. Um, that that would be great. If he gets the opener from a corner, um, you know, that would be just brilliant. Run run along the side of the Arthur weight. Beautiful. That would be absolutely sensational. If he gets what a third you- from a free kick, he won't be interested. Yeah. Um, the the other factor to mention as well is that Zaha, we think, is going to be out. He is known for recovering. Yeah, I, I wouldn't quickly. trust that. Yeah, um, annoyingly quickly, especially when it comes to Albion games. He seems to have yeah. been available unexpectedly on a couple of occasions from recollection. And I'm not putting it beyond the realms of possibility that he might end up surprisingly being available. It's a hamstring he, he picked up a couple of weeks ago. Um Usually they do take longer than a couple of weeks to recover, but it does depend on the nature of the injury. And obviously we don't know the details. They won't tell us, of course, um, if he is missing. And I think isn't Eze missing as well at the moment? I didn't. I'm not sure about that. I think I heard that somewhere. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be um, corrected. I know you're going to have a look at that while we're talking um, probably now. But um, if they are missing Zaha and Eze, I think that would be a a deciding factor, not the deciding factor, but one of them. Because I think when you look at the rest of their squad, they've got some reasonably okay players there, but they don't have Elise being one one exception. But I think aside from that, there's not a great deal of out-and-out match winners in that team if those players are out. Uh, Elise is one we've got to make sure we try and avoid conceding free kicks because if he manages to pull off that Man United goal again, uh, then, then we've got... No, no mention of SA being out on the BBC. No, no. Maybe I might have misheard that from somewhere. Um, well, if Eze's playing, that kind of levels it a little bit more. But um, I think we can get the edge on them, and I think we, we will win it. But I've been known to get my predictions wrong just once or twice. Well, for once or twice, read most of the time. <laughs> uh, Peter, what about you? Do you? How do you see this one going? I, I really don't want to predict anything. I can see anything from a, a one-goal win, probably, for them. Um, to a three or four goal win for us, in all honesty, I think. Yeah, I, I can see that. them. 
Mm-hmm. Alan Wears uh, from the Albion Raw was on Albion Unlimited as a guest this week, and he said virtually the same thing. He said anything from a 1-0 Palace win to a 6-0 Brighton win, which is more or less what you've said there almost. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I, I'm not committing to 6-0, but yeah, <laughs> it, it's one of those games where they're, they're on a bad run of form. If we can get an early goal and really get at them, and we have like most of those, you know, our players back, and we can dominate the midfield with Casado and McAllister and Grinch uh, and really get on top. Then you know we our, our attackers are just so such good form that I, they they may not be able to deal with them. And I think Anderson might be out as well, and he'd be a big loss for them if he's out. Yeah. He's um, a decent player, yeah. Mm. yeah. But yeah, yeah, on the other hand, almost in a way, the longer it stays nil nil, the more chance they have. You know, it's like I'm not saying they won't go and score in the first minute, but you know, the more they kind of frustrate us, and we, you know, mm. the kind of crowd get behind them. And the issue, the question is, what sort of tactic will they use? You know. Will they go with a Leicester Bournemouth sort of, you know, sit back and hold, hope to catch on the break? It's harder to do that in a game like this at home when you're playing in a game in a, you know, rival against your rival team, not a derby, but a rival team um, at home. Yeah, the idea of sitting back, Hodgson did it in lockdown when there was no one there and, and almost worked until McAllister scored later on. But yeah, it's harder when you, when you're at home. And last year, actually, up, up there was the only time I remember them being a better team against us for quite a while. Mm. Um, we got it completely wrong, and Lalana and Grosh were played in central midfield together, which didn't work. We got we didn't get any sort of dominant. But Suman was missing, and we we, we Potter got it wrong, and we obviously relied yeah. on a, a ninety-six minute goal. And do you think he overthought that or something? It seemed very I don't know. It, whether it was to like you wanted two ball carriers, but there was they, they yeah, Palace just dominated us because they got stuck in and we didn't really in midfield. What we really need to do is just to try not do anything much different at all to what we've been doing recently because we're playing really well. They've been playing terribly, by the way. They've only had one win in 10 since the World Cup uh, in all competitions, and that was away at Bournemouth, who, by all accounts, on that occasion were terrible as well. Um, They're they're generally having a bad season, but they they were particularly bad that day, apparently. Um, My my one concern, and I think it's where Palace certainly historically have been quite good, will be set pieces because the suggestion is that Beltman will play again tomorrow. He's not yeah. huge for a centre-half and he's been playing centre-half. So you're left with only really Dunkey of any sort of big height at the back. And we don't have a particularly big forward. Ferguson's decent size, but he's not massive. You know, so we don't have that huge height in the box of anyone really to, to dominate the area at set pieces, barring Duncan Sanchez. Yeah, And Palace do tend to have quite decent sized players and do well at set pieces. So, you know, it's... Yeah, that's a bit of a worry, I think, at times. If yeah, I like Beltman. He's a really good player, but he's not that tall for a centre-half, which is why he spent most of his time here playing right-back, right-wing-back sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, true. There, there's so many variables. Of course, we can't accurately predict things, really, by, except by luck. But um, some intriguing matchups. ups It's going to be... Uh, yeah, I would say just as, as long as we can play as much as we have been doing in, in the same style... Um, in this match, as we have done recently, then I'd be happy with that. And if Palace could just carry on their current form, that would be very convenient. So if they don't mind... That would be a a really key one because they're they're right back normally quite a weakness at the moment from what I've seen. Like Either when it's Ward or Klein, they struggle a bit there. So, yeah, Matoma against one of those could be a really interesting battle. And we all know Matoma can pretty much dominate anyone. So... Yeah, yeah. That's going to be an interesting element. And... We need uh, to help as well. That's the other thing. Obviously, they've got, they've got Michael Oliver. He needs to have a good performance. 
Yeah, exactly. He's got to he's got to get the balance of it right uh, with any derby or in this case rivalry type of match. You you have to get the balance right. Sometimes it is good to let certain things flow. Other times it is good to nip it in the bud early. It depends on the nature of the game. And because he's such an experienced ref and one of the best on paper, um, you would hope that he will will do so. Um, we were supposed to add him last week. We have got him this week. At least we think we have. Um, so, yeah, it will be on him and it'll be on luck and it'll be on various other things. What I don't want is to miss well, out on points that we should get due yeah. to bloody VAR or the ref well, making exactly. if, if, if it comes down to luck, we're surely due to a huge amount of luck against yeah. them. I mean, the, the luck they had against us for so many games in a row. So that ludicrous one at Selhurst when Lamptey breathed on Batshuayi and he threw himself to the floor and got a penalty somehow that was... And there's the penalty we didn't get. Was it Montoya was fouled? Yeah, Montoya was fouled and tried to stay on his feet. And then, yeah, yeah but was clearly fouled in the yeah, in the build-up. There was the, then... obviously the other side of the luck where, you know, basically we absolutely battered them at the Amex and, you know, they, they somehow fluked to win... You know, I mean, last season, obviously, we got a late own goal up uh, at home, but we dominated again there as well at home. You know, it's, yeah, we do a, we do a large portion of luck against them. They've been very fortunate. We've not won since Houghton time. Yeah. So we're, we're overdue thing- a win and we're overdue some massive for- good fortune against them. And uh, but yeah. I'd love it if we didn't do that and we just won without any fortune at all and yeah. won three nils like that. But yeah, I'm not yeah. going to commit to anything. It's, yeah, I'd, I'd rather we games where anything can happen. I'd rather we play well and batter them, and I mean in terms of the scoreline as well as the, the the overall balance of play. That would be the ideal scenario. But if we if we win it through luck, then I'm happy with that. Well, I'd rather obviously win just... through luck than not win. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but then, I mean, that, even that one. If you look at the one, was it for Potter's first game against them? We were one up and cruising after Mope scored, and we had about ten or twelve chances where they'd had none, mm-hmm. and then they scored for nothing, and it's. You know, it's so frustrating. We've been yeah. so, barring that one game against them away last year when we got it wrong and we they were a better team, we've been the better team comfortably for so many games. Mm. And, yeah. And um, well, and then in the other games, we, sometimes when we've been on good form and we've just not turned up or we haven't played as well as we could have done, and I don't think it was because of the other side necessarily. I think it was because we just didn't quite yeah. come to the party. That playoff um, one is the, the classic example. I mean, we were we yeah. were by far better form than them at going to that, and then we just didn't turn up, did we? Yeah. Somehow. We had all the chances to win it in the first leg as well. We'd had two or three really good chances to go ahead on, ahead yeah. after the first leg and not yeah. taken them. And we had quite a lot of chances throughout the game up there as well. And obviously the yeah. quiet stuff was going on that day anyway. But yeah, yeah I think won that game. I don't know what the recent head to head is, but it must be pretty pretty even. I would think there's been a lot of draws, hasn't there? Yeah, we've only won last season. We've only won those two in the second season, sorry, and in the cup game that first year, and they beat us. I think in the, in the cup in the league in the first season, and then we both had two. Uh, yeah, we've both had a two-one away win, haven't we? Yeah, they won one nil at the Amex just before lockdown as well. The previous season. Oh yeah, and they yeah. won three-two at home the first the first season we went up. Yeah, I think. and yeah, the rest have all been draws. So probably like something like three-five-three if you include the cup game as well that we um, that we won that first season. Yeah. So, and we're still ahead in the overall head-to-head, but none of that matters. Of course, it only really matters what happens tomorrow. The also, beauty... to go thirteen points clear with a game in hand, which is yeah, that would that really big gap. That would pretty much seal it, I think, in terms of finally. Well, I say finally because last season we finished above them, but to to do it two seasons in a row would be very satisfying. Yeah, um, and last that... season was so close to the point that we were behind them at half time. Yeah, you know, so it was it was really really tight. 
I did for the first time in ages. I listened to their one of their podcasts, the Five Year Plan one, which is one Kevin Day's on. He wasn't on the episode I listened to, but um, but they were talking about um, generally that they were saying we are a very good team, and they are worried about the match, and they do know that you know the rivalry games can sometimes form goes out the window yeah. and the other cliches, but they were generally quite a few compliments about us, begrudging compliments. Um, if we were to go there and win comprehensively, you wonder whether Vieira might get under a little bit of pressure. Well, this I was going to say. They 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 were suggesting that they have they have to keep thinking about the R word uh, all the time that it's still a a reasonable possibility, yeah. and they are a bit worried about it because they're not as far away from it as they thought they might be. And they're on bad form as well. It's kind of they're on bad form, as I said, one win in ten, and that was against a poor side, uh, of which I think seven seven or eight of those games are league games. Um, and they are just a little bit too close for comfort. And they did say that at the moment Vieira is all right, but I think they they were saying if they if the form continues in the same fashion over the next four to five games, which would potentially suck them closer to the relegation zone as well, then Vieira would be under genuine pressure from some uh, certainly large numbers of the fan base. So it's, it's going to be interesting if that pans out. Obviously, one major part of that is if their arch rivals beat them on their own patch to start that continuation of the run into the next phase going. Um, I think that would put some pressure on straight away. Actually, if they if we, they were soundly beaten, say we say we beat them three or four nil, um, which could happen because Tottenham beat them four nil, Fulham beat them three nil. Well, also we have been have done that a couple of times away from yeah. them recently. They, they're, know, poor, so. they're poor scorers at the moment, and one of them made a comment that they're kind of a bit like Potter from two, a couple of years ago. I think, um, you know, with this failure to convert chances they do concede a lot of goals at home and we are the highest scorers I think jointly with Leicester is it in the away stakes in the Premier League this season we are a good away side in general um so they are worried about this game and just purely in its own right as one match but also of course for the rivalry element yeah um, and it'll be interesting so- to see how they how they do play it because we will just go there and play the way we always play but yeah. in order to stop us playing that way as well they probably have to sit back a bit more and they yeah, that will probably not endear them to the fans and they'll probably get frustrated. But actually, you know, they have to, that would be better to do what Leicester did effectively and what, you know, kind of and try and catch the break and Bournemouth did. You know, work for Leicester, they got a point, although it almost took, almost got all three. Bournemouth almost got a point out of us yeah. and could have got more if they'd finished well. So, you know, I mean, teams need to, when they're, when they're away, it's less of an issue. I think teams can come and sit deeper. But at home, when t- do teams really want to sit deep against Brighton? I mean, we're, we're still regarded as being Brighton. We're not, we're not talking about, you know, like Liverpool or Chelsea or whatever. Yeah. People still look down and like a bit snobbish towards us, I think. And they're like, well, our team should not be defending at home to Brighton. And they can't afford at this stage to be just getting points. Um, they really need to be getting a bit more than that from some of the home games. And and they, um, yeah, the fans are going to demand that they come at their rivals as the home side as well. So we'll, we'll see. Um, incidentally, we were trying to get um, Palace opinion on the pod. Um, unfortunately, Amy, who we had on a couple of seasons ago, was due to come on today. But unfortunately, she's um, come down with a virus, so she wasn't able to come on. So uh, get well soon, Amy. Uh, sorry you couldn't join us. And that meant we didn't get any Palace opinion. Um well, I'd like to get some Palace opinion after the game tomorrow if we've won <laughs> from somebody. I don't know. Maybe not a time to chat to fans at the ground. We probably are probably are going to do a, a match day special as well, um, which uh, look out for that one. Um, that's almost certainly happening as well. Um, but just before we go, Pete, a couple of other bits. Um, Ed Turn scored for Brighton uh, the last weekend. Um, oh, yeah. 
in uh, midweek. But other than that, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. For all into midweek. Yeah. Um. So that's good. Um. Any other news? I think we've the, the Albion women. We've already mentioned they had a good um, result, didn't they? I think uh, was it a one all? I think they got a result at Villa. Better, yeah. Um, when I think they were struggling a bit as well, actually, in the game. So that decent point there keeps them away from trouble. Um, I don't think there's any other major Albion news that's come up recently, is there? No, um, I think we know of. So we'll leave it there, and we'll catch up more on that next time. Um, so. Uh, so the Palace game, we'll, we'll see how we go. And I'm going to meet up with you unusually on a match day, albeit after the game. I'm going to go for a couple of drinks, aren't we? So um, I might get your uh, opinions post-match on the next pod. Excellent. I look forward to it. <laughs> All right then, Peter. Until next time, stand or fall. Up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network.